Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When we hear the Christmas story from the Gospel according to Luke, as we heard it both yesterday and on Christmas Eve, most of us are almost able to repeat it word for word. We can't remember a time when we didn't know that story. We associate it with our childhood memories of Christmas pageants, cardboard crowns for the wise men, bathrobes for the, for the shepherds, gold tinsel halos, and crisp white sheets for the angels. The story is reassuring and comforting. It's reassuring because it reminds us of a time when grown-ups did all the worrying. When there was always a large hand which we could place our small one into. And when all of our needs were taken care of even before we knew what all of our needs were. The story is about a baby and about a family. It's about angels and shepherds and it's about love and the peace of God and peace with God and peace on earth. It's about rejoicing and it's about an amazing miracle. The scene of the Holy Family nestled among the sheep and the cattle in Bethlehem in a manger is a scene that transports us back in time so that we might be able to relive some of those memories of Christmas pageants in the past. I know that whenever Christmas pageants are mentioned, at least in a certain small town in central Wisconsin, 35 miles straight west of Green Bay, I'm sure many of you have heard of Green Bay, someone is sure to mention the name of Wally Egebrecht. Wally Egebrecht, a classmate of mine. Wally was 11 years old and in the second grade, although he should have been in the fifth grade. He was somewhat big, a little awkward, a bit simple-minded, and he seemed to move just a little bit slower than the rest of the kids in the class. But still, he was very well liked by everyone in the class because he was always helpful, always warm, always friendly and sincere, and he smiled a lot. And everybody liked him because of that. Well, Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd in the, Christ in the Christmas pageant that year at St. Martin Lutheran School. However, he was assigned an even more important role than that. He was assigned to be the role of the innkeeper. After all, the director reasoned that the innkeeper didn't have too many lines to memorize. And besides that, Wally's size would make his refusal of lodging for Mary and Joseph even more convincing and more believable. No one was more caught up in the excitement of the night of the Christmas pageant than Wally. And the time came for Joseph to appear, and he slowly and tenderly brought Mary forward to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door that was set into the, the painted backdrop of that set. Wally, the innkeeper, was there waiting very patiently. What do you want, Wally said, swinging the door open brusquely. We seek lodging. Seek it elsewhere, he said. The inn is filled. There's no room in the inn for you. But Wally looked properly stern, and he spoke very assertively. Please, good innkeeper, Joseph said. This is my wife. She's about to have a baby. She needs a place to rest. 
We've been traveling all day long and she's tired. Don't you have at least some small room where she could stay? Now, for the first time, Wally began to relax his rather rigid and his rigid stance, and he looked down at Mary, and there was this long pause, and from behind the set, the director said, no, be gone. He gave Wally the cue, and of course, Wally said, no, be gone. He repeated it automatically. Joseph placed his arm around Mary, and the the two of them started to move away from the door of the inn. But the innkeeper did not go inside the inn as he was supposed to. Wally just stood there in the doorway, watching the discouraged couple walk away slowly. His mouth was open. His brow was creased with concern. His eyes filled unmistakably with tears. And then it happened. Don't go, Joseph, Wally cried. Bring Mary back. You can have my room. Well, as you can imagine, uh, there was laughter then as well, and there were also a few tears, because it was Wally, whom everyone knew and loved. And suddenly, this whole Christmas pageant became different from any other one that the people in that small town had ever experienced. Some people thought the pageant had been absolutely ruined. Others, many others, including myself, considered it to be probably the most special Christmas pageant I'd ever witnessed. Because, you see, Christmas is all about just that. It's about opening our hearts and about opening our homes and our very lives to those places where love dwells deeply, to the Christ child, to make room for Him there, to allow His love to reside within us, That's what Christmas is all about. The source of our joy in this season that we're now in, the the season of Christmas, is the birth of love. Love come down from heaven above. We celebrate the love that God made visible in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. We celebrate the knowledge that God's love is born in us today. We celebrate knowing that as St. John writes in his epistle, how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. On this first Sunday after Christmas, we celebrate the message, that message from God that we are truly loved by Him. The message is simple but profound, awesome and yet full of wonder. It's an age-worn, timeless message that never changes. It's the same one that came to the the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night over 2,000 years ago. And what did God say to them? Why, of course, He said the same thing that He says to each one of us today. I love you. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. To ensure this message would be fully heard and fully received, God did not just proclaim it through the angels. He became it. He sent His message of love to us in a person 
wrapped up in the person of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of truth. I love you. Do not be afraid. That's the message. That's the message the angels proclaim to humble shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. And that's the message that is given to us today. It's the same message that I heard so profoundly in the words of a a very simple Christmas card that I received a few days ago from some former parishioners of mine. It's a card from a couple of elderly ladies who live on a ranch just north of San Antonio, Texas. The one is 95, and the other is just a little younger. She's only 91. Ruth and Mildred are their names. They live on this ranch, and the picture that I have in my mind is a rather vivid one. Because every time that I would go out to visit them on their ranch, I'd walk through this rather rickety old gate outside of their farmhouse and almost stumble over a sheep or a goat or a chicken or a dog or a cat. I mean to tell you, there were barnyard animals everywhere. They even had a llama. These two sisters are all that are left of a a rather large Texan family. Of course, in Texas, everything is large, right? And they try to make it alone as best they can, without too much assistance from any friends, without even a hired hand to help. Despite their unalterable independence, and that they are, it seems as though they're always stumbling over a dog or a chicken or something else and breaking a hip and getting involved in some kind of a calamity or another. And then comes this beautiful Christmas card that I received from them, wishing both Sarah and I a very Merry Christmas. And scribbled on the inside, it says, Our Lord Jesus comes to us even in the midst of our mess. Even in the midst of our mess. Just think about that. I knew immediately what they meant. For I can still see, I can still envision that impossible mess all around their ranch. And all of the complications that it brought upon their lives. Our Lord Jesus comes to us even in the midst of our mess. The love of God is like that. The messiness and the confusion we experience in life, the anxieties we have, the worries, the concerns, the cares, not to mention our sinfulness, which continues to create such havoc in our lives day in and day out, emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually, in our relationships with other people, within our own families, outside of our families. These are the exact places where the good news of God's love and forgiveness breaks through. Breaks through into our lives and does its very best work when we find ourselves in the midst of a mess. Ruth and Mildred, my former parishioners, hit the nail on the head when they suspected that the Christ of Christmas would come to us even in places like that. Well, on this first day after Christmas, let us remember that it was God's brilliant idea that he formed from the very foundations of the world. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. It was his idea to send a message into the world, and the very best way that he knew how to do that was to wrap it up in a person. The message was and still is, I love you. Do not be afraid. The person was and still is Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, the Son of God, our Savior from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Well, in response to that gift, that gift of love, and make no mistake about it, it is a gift. It's God's best gift. Will we, will we, along with little Wally Egebrecht, my classmate from the second grade at St. Martin's School in Clintonville, Wisconsin, will we respond by saying, you can have my room, the one in my heart. I love that hymn, the Christmas hymn that Christina Rossetti wrote in the bleak midwinter. I know many of you know it and know it well. She says, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. I give my heart. Christ the Lord is born today. May he be born in our hearts also. Amen.